What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of 2021 Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. First thing to know, we upgraded our mic. The sound should be much better. I'd love to hear from you guys, whether it's in an Instagram DM, any social media platform, a comment in the reviews on YouTube. Drop me a comment if you notice and appreciate the difference in the upgraded mic. Uh, today we're talking with Joe Willard and Greg Mansfield from The Sickness, a couple of Bassmaster Open National Professional Fishing League pros. Uh, and it's a really good story about their journey, their plans to make the Elite Series, and what it takes to do that. And let's all learn and find out what is The Sickness. Enjoy the episode. All right. Good evening, live Wednesday night here uh, with the sickness. What's up, guys? What's happening? How's it going? Thanks for having us on. Yeah, so if you guys don't know, this is Joe Willard and Greg Mansfield, uh, originally from Minnesota. Uh, at least that's where they kind of got their start fishing-wise that I know of. Um, and now you guys are kind of all over the place. Home base is somewhere between Minnesota and Kansas and everywhere in between, right? That's it, especially this year. I mean, we're uh, we're going to be on the road a bunch. I still call Minnesota home. I still got a place up there, uh, Prior Lake. But you know, I'm I'm on the road more than I'm back in Minnesota. So, so despite the rumors, Greg's garage is not your primary residence. I mean, I I do have a camper just behind the garage over there. That's probably fifty percent of my residence. <laughs> So the mailman no probably thinks this yeah. is his residence too, because of At all least the, the tackle warehouse guy, so. the tackle warehouse believes it's your primary residence. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. <clears throat> well, awesome. All right, we got a few guys rolling in. What's up, Shadow? What's up, Tom? Uh, good to see you guys tonight. Uh, let us know how the audio is on both ends. Uh, I invested in a mic, so we have a new mic here. We've got a fresh backdrop, uh, lots of new things, uh, some extra lighting here in the studio. So let us know. If, uh, if the improvements are coming through for you visually and audio-wise. So love to hear. Make sure everything sounds good. Hopefully the people that listen to the podcast version down the road appreciate the microphone. Um, so, All right. So they say it sounds good. Well, for those that you guys don't know, the so uh, Greg and Joel have been kind of fishing tournaments together, I guess, I don't know, officially, unofficially for a while. But this past year, 2020, you guys kind of cemented it into – I don't know, more of an official venture or a project uh, with the YouTube channel and the sickness. Where did that all, you know, like maybe just give us a little, just kind of high level back history of how you got to where you were at the start of last year. I mean, to take the, yeah, the lead ahead. to it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, Joel and I traveled together fishing. I did the tour for a year and did the opens for a year when Joel was just kind of getting started on the national scene. He traveled and fished as a co-angler with me. I uh, kicked my butt out of the back of the boat a bunch of times, which was uh, um, you know, was good for him. He launched his career. Uh, it's always humbling when some guy's kicking the butt out of the back of the boat. But, uh, you know, we had a really had a good time traveling, and um, that went well. And then uh, I really took a year off. Uh, I'm late 30s. i got a family, six-year-old, three-year-old kid. And for me personally, or, or at the beginning of last year, I was really trying to make a decision whether I wanted to do national tournament bass fishing or not. And I was at a point where I knew the amount of work it was going to take to get from where I was to where I need to be at, an, at the elite level. And that's a, once you've seen it and you know, the amount of work, that's a tough decision to make. And that's kind of where I was at. And mm-hmm. it, it timed up well 
with some of the change in the fishing industry and, and Joel and I kind of got to talking and, and both of us had a passion for trying to make the Bassmaster Elite Series uh, was kind of a dream for both of us. We had a, a goal of wanting to be to fish a classic or to try to win a classic. And so a lot of that stuff started lining up. We knew we could travel well together. And, I, you know, when when I realized that's what Joel wanted to do, too, and we figured out a way that we could partner and travel together, that takes a lot of the burden out of it. So at the beginning of last year, you know, I made that decision. I said, if I'm going to do this now, I'm 39, 38 at the time, 39 now, I need to do this 100 percent all in. Right now, I can't. There's no more toe in the water. It's time to do it or not do it. And mm-hmm. when we decided to go all in, we knew that we needed to have, we saw the way it's going with social media. And we knew that we needed to have a um, some kind of a brand and YouTube presence that we could work on as a kind of more like a team than just our own brands. Um, and that's where we came up with the sickness. Um, I'll give a little bit of an intro to what we did with the sickness and then let Joel take a little bit of what he sees from it. But um, the actually a cool story for the sickness. So I've got a good buddy from back in high school that is a um, head baseball coach for uh, took over a Division two school out in Colorado, Colorado School of Mines. And I think the way that I understand this story in the short order was they basically hadn't won a baseball game in 50 years. He takes over the program, and within two years, they're in the Division two World Series. They're competing, and in, in, I believe the year after he left Colorado School of Mines, I think they won it. Mm-hmm. Um. And so they came over to the house for to see um, see us. We hung out for a night, and uh, I just asked him, as I love studying excellence in any way that I can, I, I asked him, I was like, how did you do that, man? Like, that's incredible to take over a program like that. And he goes, well, it's real simple, and it's one thing. When I recruit kids, I don't look for people that have been successful before. I look for kids that have the sickness. And I went, well, I don't know what that means, but can you explain it? And he goes, nobody really knew what it means when I said it, but – he goes, I'm wanting kids that had to scrap, fight, and claw for everything they've ever had, and they've got a gene almost from birth that they hate losing more than they like winning, and they will compete with everything they have. It doesn't matter if they're playing cribbage or if they're playing a board game or if they're playing tiddlywinks or they're fishing or they're whatever they're doing. They just want to compete at everything they do, and they can't stand to lose. And I went, I know exactly what that means because, you know, I got – kicked out of fourth grade one time because I was being too competitive with the other kids in the class. Right. So it's just kind of in your blood and that's where that kind of come from. And I got to telling Joel that story. And I don't know if you want to jump in from that. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in the more like I've kind of studied it and kind of realized what he was talking about. I mean, it's really anybody in the fishing, anybody that's fishing these national tournaments or just, you know, fishing in general, it seems that you see it more and more people have a sickness. They just, they hate losing more than they like actually winning. You know, it's right. the competitive competitiveness side of them. And I'm the same way, man. I mean, if Greg and I play cribbage, I will not lose that game. And if I do, I'm it ruins my day, it ruins my night. So it's just, you know, we both got it. Pretty and, common. Yeah. And, yeah, it's not common, but um, you know, it's kind of weird. You know, we 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 thought we we kind of talked about it and we're like, you know, that'd be a great name for a YouTube channel. You know, it's kind of what we both believe in. And then obviously this whole pandemic thing hit in the beginning of the year when we started to fire it up. So people are kind of like, what is a sickness? What's going on with that? But, um, you know, it has nothing to do with COVID-19. It has nothing to do with the pandemic. It's, you know, it's just. Uh, yeah, we actually had to rebrand right after that. And we kind of yeah. added the fish symbol to the sickness and we added the outdoor name word underneath it. So, um you know, that was kind of a, a little road bump. But, I mean, what in life where you don't hit road bumps? Hey, let's start a YouTube channel and get it rolling. And then, by the way, a pandemic's going to hit that's going to, you know, 
basically make fun of the name you pick for when it started. So <laughs> just another road bump to overcome for it. But I mean, the other thing with the sickness too, I think that we wanted to mention when we were talking about this ahead of time was it's also just the passion for the outdoors. I think uniquely in fishing or hunting, most people can relate to when you're little or at some point when you go out and catch a fish for the first time, or you go hunting and, and get that experience with your, with somebody for the first time you, you get, you know, it's almost a, a lifelong passion that you can't kick. And I think that was another meaning for the name that we thought was cool that we thought could work with this too. So we're hoping to grow that brand a lot in the next few years and, you know, having a lot of fun with it. So. Yeah, that's cool. And so did you guys, so first of all, who's, who's better at cribbage, you guys or Sam Sobe? So, I've never lost in cribbage. Uh, I mean, the bra- well, you can't, I don't know if you can see him from here, but there's a lot of $20 bills stapled yeah. up there. That's got Sobe's <laughs> name on it. And I okay. think if he was here, he would, uh, he would agree that, He's got a little work to do there. Yeah, him and B Rock lost pretty good one night. So nice. So <clears throat> I probably made that back in editing, but uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah no. we have a we have a funny joke with him actually. His wife beats him or his girl uh, uh, girlfriend, right? Yeah, Steph. Yep. Steph, whoever Steph is, to so be sorry about that. But I think she's beaten him like fifteen times in a row, and he just keeps texting us, you know, just terrible mad emojis with hands of cribbage because she keeps beating him and he can't stand it right. he's like what did i do to the cribbage gods and i'm like i don't know dude sorry man can't be good at everything <laughs> uh cool uh, let's see uh looks like kelly's uh chiming in here uh <laughs> it's true that's it's true a good statement. woman it's yeah. a good woman right that's there awesome's even chiming in on his thoughts on your guys's cribbage skills so there you go he has uh, Austin has. I will admit, a couple times Austin has uh, got the better of me. That probably has more to do with sorcery than actual skill. I agree. Harry Potter, uh, something, something yeah. in there, some sorcery <laughs> involved. <laughs> nice. So, um, did you guys kind of decide? Like, how did you? I mean, you guys just decided you were going to do the channel. You know, obviously, you you brought in some other people to help you with the channel. How did that really all come together? Like, was it just kind of on the fly, or did you like? put together the framework as you or before you started the cha- I mean the brand and the channel how did that all come together well, I mean it was really it was kind of really on the fly I mean we we you know we saw that if we you know most successful bass fishermen out there have a you know either a YouTube following or a, you know good social media following and obviously with sponsors and that kind of stuff you know it's it's such a such a big thing these days that you need to have so you know we kind of we kind of winged it earlier this year and, you know, we talked about it, you know, doing a YouTube channel. I mean, I, you know, it's cool that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, we'll be able to look back and look at how many times we messed up in a tournament or how many fish we missed. But, um, you know, it, it's just, it's cool to look back and it's cool to, you know, show people that don't get to go out and, uh, and do this stuff every day, you know, kind of what, what we're doing out on the road, um, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly and, and all that out there. And, um, you know, it's Sobe, obviously we've known Sobe for a while. He's he's uh he's a Minnesota boy and he's been in the YouTube scene for a long time, knows a lot of stuff, and you know, we thought it'd be a great opportunity to uh to ask him if he wanted to kind of travel along and, and do the co angler thing like he did this year and uh and help us out and get us started. And you know, I I don't know much about YouTube or computers or technology or any of that kind of stuff and Greg knows more than I do, but, um, you know, we need a, a good jump start from Sobe and he definitely, definitely was able to help us out at the beginning of this year. So, yeah, I mean, we knew it was going to be a long haul too. I think we planned on a two to two to three year period before we would really have a baked product here that we would 
feel comfortable, um, you know, really put, putting us in a good spot. We knew it would be a, a long kind of battle to get it up and going. And from my bit, from my previous business career, I'm used to asking people for help. Uh, it's one of the ways I've been successful in business is learning from the people who are the very best at what they do. Like mm-hmm. I was talking about asking a baseball coach, how did you turn that baseball program around? I've done that my whole life. I really like learning from people that are smarter, better than me. And when we jumped into this, man, I knew at 38 years old, I was like, I am, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm sure Joel felt the same way. We knew we needed to do it. And so to, to have a relationship or a connection with somebody like Sobe being from the same area as we're from, you know, it was a little bit of luck, a little bit of help. Um, and then things just lined up right that at least, you know, we could get a kickstart, um, you know, and, and, and you can see if you look back at some of the first stuff we're doing, you know, there was a learning curve and we'll continue to learn over the next few years and try and improve. But, you know, we owe Sam a big thank you for getting us kickstarted, if that makes sense. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so how did you end up picking Kansas as your new hub, Greg? So I have spent about half my life in Minnesota. Um, in the city's area, and I've spent about half my life here around the Kansas City area. So, to the Chiefs jersey, uh, I'm about a 60% Vikings fan, 40% Chiefs fan. It's just these days, it's a lot easier to be a Chiefs fan with all the stuff going on with both teams, but uh, it still bleed a little more purple than I would red. Um, so, I've really sp- split my life here. I'm really kind of almost equal. And um, Kelly's folks, I actually met my wife in a small town called Abilene, Kansas, um, mm-hmm. and I'm from here originally. So, you know, Kansas City uh, is kind of home. I went to the University of Kansas, too, is where I went to college. So this kind of made sense for a long-term place. She wanted to be closer to her folks, too, I think, when we, once we had kids, which I'm definitely grateful for the help whenever we get it from her folks. Um, and from ter- from a tournament perspective, Kansas City is actually a really good hub. I mean, we got a lot of access to the interstate system here that gets me anywhere I need to go. And, I mean, it's seven hours closer every direction <laughs> both ways from when I used to drive back to Minnesota all the time. So I'm not complaining about the sa- the money savings. And this just kind of made sense for us to put down roots here and just South of Kansas city. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, so we haven't, t- I mean, you guys both have some, I think, uh, FLW tour experience in the past, right? If I remember correctly, uh, different levels of success, different years. Uh, but last year you guys both decided the Bassmaster opens, right was going to be the deal and that kind of rolls back into the sickness and the black and blue is that you really wanted you know to chase i think what, like in your videos in the intros a lot of times right the blue trophies right um so what i guess let's move to so you guys both fished all eight opens last year traveled together did them all um i kind of like followed along to the channel a little bit i mean i kind of follow a lot of the minnesota guys in the opens right kind of scrolling through checking out how guys are doing uh, I mean, Joel and I have actually fished against each other a few times in the old Panaprog and a few local tournaments back in the day. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of laughing. I was like, maybe we should start the podcast with like a cast for cast breakdown of the 2013 <laughs> Panaprog tournament or something. That's right. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you guys, you, you kind of were hovering around, right? I mean, you kind of like, you were always kind of in striking difference, but never really had like the breakout performance that you really needed to kind of like, make the jump and really get into it is kind of what it felt like. You were always like a couple of fish from really being like, you know, in the tournament and a couple of fish from being out of the tournament. I mean, that's kind of the way the opens are, right? I mean, like it's a tough fishery. I mean, uh, maybe what were some of your highlights, uh, some of the biggest challenges, what were your biggest learnings maybe that you can take into the 2020 season? 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're dead. That was a really accurate description. We were just talking the other day, like we didn't ever make a top 12 and we didn't ever have that one break, one or two breakout performances you need to probably qualify for the elite series. And, Mm -hmm. but we were also right there. Austin, if Austin's still on here, I used to, I traveled a year with Austin back when my co-angler days, uh, six or seven years ago. And something that resonated with me that he said then was, when you start to really get to feel like you belong or to be better in bass fishing is when you don't bomb anymore. So for me, that was a big deal this year was just, I don't ever bomb a tournament. Um, even when things went wrong, you still find a way you still know you have enough experience and start your instincts start to tell you how to at least go survive. Um, and that, you know, that kind of takes over. It just takes time to hone that. So that was a big thing this year is continuing to kind of learn how to not have those really bad tournaments. And I, I still just need a, a, those, that one breakout, I think, to have that big one. Um, and I'm really, I'm hoping to be able to do that in 2021. I'm going to have uh, 15 opportunities uh, at it. Um, you know, hopefully to have more than one, uh, if things continue to go well. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like in 2020 was the first time I felt confident on the water, particularly towards the end of the year, to just let my instincts tell me what to go do. And that's a good feeling. And it's come from seven years of uh, misery and working your butt off trying to get through the stuff. So I don't know. I probably didn't do a great job of answering that question, but when you were mentioning kind of some things that we learned this year, one of the, my, one of the things I debriefed after the season was feeling confident, kind of getting rid of those really big bombs. If that sure. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, kind of the same way for me. I mean, I got, I got so much to learn out there. I mean, I, honestly, you know, I haven't been at it very long. I, I fished as a couple of years as a co-angler. I, I mean, I only fished, I think, two Bassmaster Opens as a co-angler. I fished a season of the FLW Tour as a co. Had a good year, qualified to go to the front of the boat, fished my first season um, nationally as a FLW Tour pro uh, a couple years ago, two years ago, I guess, and uh, had a good year. I mean, I you know, I never had a, had a real real good tournament. I made a couple top 30s, made the FLW Cup. Um, but, you know, there's just so much to learn out there with every, every one of these bodies of water. And there's, it seemed like this year, every body of water, except a couple that we went to, um, I've never been to, you know, so I'm still, I still ride around on the water out there and, and ask myself, do I really know what I'm doing out here? Like, I feel like I'm completely lost. <laughs> like, I, you know, it's, so, um, you know, the biggest thing, like Greg said, is, you know, we didn't really have any bombs. We had a couple of bad tournaments. I had a couple of bad tournaments, you know, the last one of the year at Lay Lake. I mean, I needed a good finish, kind of gambled, whatever, and ended up in 100th place, whatever it was. But, you know, overall, I mean, it's really it's such a fine line from, you know, having a really good tournament, and a really bad tournament and just getting one big bite or two big bites versus not getting that big bite. So, um, you know, overall, I mean, it was a good year, but, you know, we just you know, there's a few times like at Rayburn, you know, I had a, had a good finish air top 20 finish, but just didn't get a big bite, you know, I had consistent bites, but just never got a big one. That's going to, that's, that's what you need to get up there and have a real good tournament getting those top 12s. But, you know, overall, I mean, it was consistent. I was happy with the year, um, which was obviously a little bit better because I'd be uh, getting ready to go to the elite series if, if I had a few more good ones, but you know, um, it's just, it's a learning curve and, you know, every time you're on the water, it's just I'm still learning so much. Every time I'm on the water, every tournament, I can look back and just realize what I should have done or what I should have done different or how I should have tackled, you know, the, the water versus versus not. And then, of course, this year uh, with, with the pandemic and the COVID and everything else, you know, these bodies of water, 
you know, we're fishing them in the fall. You know, I I've never fished in the in the fall in the south. I had no idea what to expect or what to do. So I just seemed like every tournament I was looking around for brush piles and throwing a dang drop shot in there. <laughs> so I knew I, I know I know a drop shot can get bit anywhere you go in the country. So it's, it's, it was more of a struggle for me this year. It seemed like than it was to just go out and figure out how to catch fish. So, which I think, and you know, you may find in the future that this is a blessing, right? Like going through this process, going through this grind. I think more oftentimes not the, the angler that has one good season in one division and pops off a couple of good tournaments and makes it really early are oftentimes the people that flame out at the tour level really quickly because they mm. really weren't prepared. So I think if it takes one, two or three seasons to get there and then, but when you do it, you are really ready. That's, you know, uh, because the financial commitment gets so much more steep at the next level uh, that uh, it's better to get there the right way and when you're prepared than I think to just rush it. I don't know if that makes sense or if you guys agree. But yeah, that, no, that's that's yeah. total. I mean, that's that's totally dead on. Um, and, you know, it's not just the fishing either. You know, I mean, it's it's the traveling, understanding the traveling, the logistics of everything, you know, knowing like we camp, obviously we got campers. Um, you know, figuring out that whole process behind just the fishing. I mean, if you can figure out everything else and be completely dialed in your logistics and knowing where you're going, you know, the camping thing, that's going to make everything easier being on the water and not having, you know, all those thoughts in the back of your head. Like, man, I got to go do this or that when I get off the water today. Um, you know, it's just all, it's all a big, you know, it all works together and being able to, to get that experience, you know, versus just, you know, if I went out there, you know, my first year and qualified and just jumped into the big leagues and fishing, <laughs> fishing is the top guys. I mean, man, it's a, uh, it's a tough road. Not that it can't be done, but it's, it's definitely got to be a tough road. Yeah. The other thing you mentioned, Greg was, you know, eliminating the bombs and being more consistent, which is important, but I think to some degree, sometimes that's contradictory to, to winning, <laughs> right? So yeah, I think, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, almost the mindset you need to make the elites is not the same mindset you necessarily need once you get to the elites, if that makes sense. Like, um, cause you know, uh, a, a top 50% finish in the elites gets you paid and makes you money. A top 50 and it makes the classic probably. Right. And the top yeah. 50% in the opens is an L right. Like from a payback standpoint, like you're not going to get a check. You're de- you know what I mean? So it's like a yeah. completely different mindset. Uh, but the thing is like, if you're fishing locally in the opens or you're just fishing a series or jackpotting, then you have to have the mindset that you don't care how bad you finish. You're trying to win it, finish yep. the top five to make any money. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a different animal. Um, so let's, let's kind of fast forward. The, re- the reason I really wanted to talk to you guys is you guys have ambitious plans for 2021. And for those that maybe don't follow you guys or don't, aren't familiar with you guys, uh, my understanding is you're fishing all three divisions of the opens this year. So that's nine Bassmaster open tournaments. And then you're stacking the new national professional fishing league. I think I got that right. Uh, six, you know, high dollar close to tour level events. Uh, it's kind of, kind of, we'll see where that really falls out. Uh, so you're fishing 15 big money tournament events this year. Uh, there's probably some other guys doing it, but these are you, you two are the, the, the first that came to mind, uh, that I knew of, uh, and that I knew, uh, that have some experience. Um, so what, what, uh, what, what, uh, what, what drove that? What, what made the decision? I mean, obviously you talked about the sickness and the black and blue. It was pretty much a given that you guys were going to fish, you know, two or three divisions of the opens. 
what made you decide to stack the league on top of the opens? Because you can't make the elites through the league. So maybe expand on that or what, what was the, the process or the thought process for that? I mean, hop in first on this one. Yeah, whatever. <clears throat> um, you know, probably it might be a little bit different for the two of us, um, but we're both we've both probably arrived at the same place, um, maybe through different ways. But I, you know, I'm 39 years old. I've spent. I paid my dues. I'm set six, seven years into traveling nationally. I I have a six year old and a three year old, so. I can see the writing on the wall in the future as those boys grow up, there's going to be more sports, more things where I'm going to want to be here and not be able to do things like this. So, uh, you know, it's in the next 10 years that's coming. So I have a short window here where I need to take advantage of the work I've put in for six years and I want to be on the road and fish. And we've got young boys, my wife, I've got a great support system so I can be on the road and travel. She's up for the adventure and a big supporter. So that's a huge help. And I just want to fish. I want to be on the road and I want to fish and I want to get as much experience as I can and really try to make a run at the elite series. The problem is, you know, the Bassmaster opens you hear this even from a lot of the, the, the head bass, you know, guys is the opens are like purgatory for bass fishing, right? Like it's exciting and it's fun, but you can't make any money and you can't, you know, unless you win you, you make the classic or you qualify for the elites, it's really, um, not a great financial venture by any means. So, you know, we're kind of in this purgatory. And so when you have another opportunity pop up that says they're not going to compete with the opens, they're not trying to, to that, that their target angler is somebody that would do the opens to try to make the elite series. Um, you know, and, and you have that and, and there's a decent payout. I've already fished at the tour level and cash a check there. I feel comfortable at this point that, that we can compete at that after this last season is, you know, I mean, you got multiple motivations for me, really. Financially, it gives me a chance to make some money. And I have a short window here where I need to go out and I need to fish as much as I can while I can um, and gain as much experience, too, so that within the next couple of years, when I make the elites, hopefully, I'm able to compete there as well and make some classics, which is a big you know, goal, life dream of mine here at this point for, for a fishing career. Kind of haven't gotten into this. So I don't do that. Does that kind of make sense, what I'm saying there? Mm-hmm. And I'll let Joel kind of speak for him on. Yeah. I mean, Greg kind of hit it. I mean, opportunity, you know, um, obviously I want to make the Bassmaster Elite Series, fishing all nine. Um, the MPFL is, you know, it's opportunity um, to make more money. You know, we're going to be on the road. We're going to be traveling a lot. Anyhow, they're not conflicting with the Bassmaster open schedules and um, exposure. I mean, you know, they got three days yep. of live coverage. They got trailered weigh-ins. Um, you know, be, be able to drive a truck and boat through the weigh-ins, you know, it's just everything we looked at it, you know, from, from the standpoint of how it's going to fit into our schedule, it's just, it worked out good. And, you know, we kind of, we talked about it and said, you know, let's just, if we're going to go all in and, and be traveling the country, I mean, we're going to be, we're leaving here, what, middle of February and we're going to be on the road until I think middle of June. And then we get a little bit of a break. And then basically I think the middle of July, all the way until the end of October, we're going to be back on the road. Um, so, you know, we're going to be traveling all over. We're going to be on the road and you know, what's six more tournaments. I mean, it's, uh, we're going to be going past those lakes. Oh, I mean, a lot of the entry fees, no big deal. Right. Yeah. But. Well, yeah. I mean, but a lot of the lakes, um, you know, I'm just looking at the schedule here now. I mean, a lot of the lakes that are fishing in the opens or a few of the lakes that are fishing in the opens are fishing in the MPFL as well. So, um, Harris chain for one, uh, Pickwick. So, 
you know, it'll be good. I mean, I, you know, we're going to be on uh, Harris chain early in the year. Um, I think early March or is it early March? Yeah, first February? tournament early open. Yeah, I don't even remember now. Um, for the open, and then we go back there. I think in May or June for the NPFL. So you know, it's one of those things where you know we're going to feel comfortable and and you know with fishing, just time in the water. Um, you know, I the worst I ever do is when I go fishing and I take time off and then try to get back in the water and get back in the swing of things. Yeah, if I can just keep hard. going, stay on the road and just you know keep going and going and going it's it seems to work best for me so it's uh it's gonna be a busy year but man i'm i'm looking forward to it and the mpfl is doing a lot right i mean there's gonna be some hiccups and there's gonna be some problems but there's i mean the trailer weigh-in thing is cool be able to for exposure the uh they're they're talking about having the final day actually having live music and food at the events and trying to make it a fan-friendly affair which i have always wondered why other organizations don't try to do a better job for fan friendly um, type environments the last day uh, to, to draw obviously is um, last year's not really a great example with COVID, but um, right. yeah. going forward, obviously. I was kind of always wondered about that. I mean, and they've, you know, they brought in some good media personalities and I think they're doing a lot that'll allow us to get some exposure and have a little fun this year and see what happens. And um, I'm sure there'll be some hiccups, but uh you know, so far I kind of like the model, and I mean they're literally marketing to guys like us that are fishing the opens, trying to make it. So, yeah, Tom says you guys. He sounds like John Cox. What's what six more tournaments, right? Like that's, that's well, I mean it's it's a lot. Obviously, it's a it's a big commitment. But you know, I mean, looking at the schedule, we actually just started uh, booking all of our campgrounds this year. Today we started booking them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and looking at the campgrounds, I mean, you know, we we obviously start down in the south um, in the winter time um you know january february and we started working our way up and the same with with uh the mpfl you know we're we're working down south and slowly working our way back up north when when we can fish up in the northern part of the country so you know we're going to be a it's it's a lot of travel and you know there's some you know we're going to be crisscrossing that kind of stuff but you know when we're on the road um instead of you know driving back from you know lake norman north carolina all the way back to minnesota all the way back to kansas if we can just go to another tournament and then back to another tournament anyhow i mean you know it's uh it just it just kind of made sense to us mm-hmm. instead of you know there's going to be just as much travel going from wherever we are for the opens all the way back home and back versus just going to another tournament you know right. for the, one of the mpfl events so and, it, and it kind of makes sense when we look at it logistically for sure. And does the league have any off limits or is it kind of open like the opens as far there, as there is off limits. Um, Jan one, um, everything was off limits as far as information. Um, there is uh there's a 30 day off limit where we can't be on the water. And then there is, um, there's a small restricted period. It's yeah, not really restricted. relevant with the no information rule. Yeah. So it basic, you know, it kind of sets up like a major national tournament trail. You can't get any information from anybody and you can't, um, and there's an off limits period where you can't be on the water. So it should set up to be a pretty fair fight. So you're going to get a couple days of official practice. We'll have uh, three days of official practice, uh, one off day, media day, meeting day. And then uh, the tournaments, everybody fishes all three days. Which I think is another great thing. We're going to be there for all these. It's more time on the water for us to learn what happens on day three when 125 guys have been beating on them for two days. Um you know, that's another thing at the, at the elite level, you start dealing with four day tournaments instead of just two or three and um, how the fish react to that. Um, I think it's just another learning experience this year. So. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I, I hadn't really thought about that and really didn't really know what, 
but you know, having that official practice will really, I don't know if you do well in the opens, like you hope to do, you know, that getting into that mode will help you prepare. Cause that's the kind of style you're going to have once you make the elites. And obviously you guys have seen that a little bit. Not, on the a, tour. not a 63 day practice that you can do for the opens if you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I never, when I, when I fish a tour, um, the FLW tour, you know, we had three days of practice, an off day, and then tournament. And honestly, like, I didn't realize that. I think that helped. I mean, I just, I felt comfortable doing it. And, you know, it didn't give me an opportunity to go out there for a week and spread myself out and get so much stuff in my head. Yeah, I got a bite way up on this part of the lake, way down in that part. Of, you know, it just, I basically, it kind of taught me how to get into an area, get some bites, and then really figure it out during the tournament. Um you know, for me, it helps. I mean, you know, everybody's a little bit different, but, you know, I kind of like those, just those short practices, those three-day practices, have an off off day, you know, let those fish relax, go in there, and then actually figure out what you found. Opening the present is what we call it. You get mm-hmm. to go out there day one of the tournament, open the present, really figure out what you found, um, and start, you know, the first day of the tournaments is, is kind of another practice day where you get to really lean on them and figure out what you found and start start expanding from there. So I'm excited for it. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I think it sets up good for how I like to fish and how I like to practice. And, uh, you know, it'll be, I think it'll be a good thing. Yeah. And I think if you're the type of angler that thrives on being on the water and staying sharp, it it makes a ton of sense. I mean, there are, I think there's kind of two types of anglers out there. There's the people that like the grind keeps them in, you know, like John Cox. Right. And there's others like that. Uh, or maybe like Ish Monroe and Hackney when they used to fish the two tours, they, they kind of thrived on that kind of stuff. And then there's the other anglers that like they thrive on taking three weeks to go hunting and completely dis- you know, whatever disconnecting and they come back fresh. Right. So I think it depends on your approach, but if that works for you, I think it makes a lot of sense to stay sharp. Mm-hmm. Uh, David says, uh, go for it guys. You don't want to look back. Um, and uh, Dermot says he, he actually believes the league's going to be a huge success. And so jumping on early isn't a bad idea. So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I see some things. I mean, obviously, starting a new league with any kind of venture is always, you know, part of you thinks of the XFL or things like that, right? And then, but there's, there's, um, you know, plenty of reasons to think that it could be successful. So it'd be really interesting to follow along, regardless, to see how it goes. Um, and having some people we know in it and that we, you know, have know some of that backstory will make it more interesting to follow for sure. Yeah, well, we appreciate it. I mean, we're, uh, you know, we're we're looking forward to it. And, you know, I mean, obviously, they're going to have hiccups like any any business ever starting up. You're always going to have hiccups and, and it's to be expected. But, you know, with the, uh, you know, we've talked to the ownership group um, and, you know, they got they all seem like they got a real great head on the shoulders. They're they're looking forward to it. They know exactly what they have. You know, they have a good game plan. And, uh, you know, we uh, we think it's a good opportunity for us for what we're trying to do and we're gonna go out there and just go try to catch a bass at the end of the day sure absolutely um going into i mean do you plan like channel wise do you plan to do videos for all 15 kind of like you did last year for the eight yeah i think we've enjoyed kind of segmenting our content into different you know kind of different groupings we had the black and blue series which we'll do season two next year we actually this weekend we're We've spent three weeks kind of producing a season recap and a kind of a little hype video for 2021 and coming soon. We're going to release that this weekend and then get ready to start filming and do black and blue season two. That was a lot of fun. Um, we don't know what we're going to name the series yet for the MPFL. 
it'll yeah. be something about the league, something about, you know, new beginnings. We'll, we'll come up with a story. I think you two, one of the best things about doing it is being able to tell that little story and kind of explain what we're doing there, which I think for us is probably going to be to compete for Angler of the Year to make the championship there. You know, I tell you right now, that's my expectation going in is very quickly um, going to be to try to compete there and compete to win um, early on. So I will probably come up with something related to that to tell the story. We've got our How We Roll segments, which is our kind of attempt this year to start to learn how to share all the lessons we've learned. I mean, we've been doing this for I've been doing this for seven or eight years, including team tournaments in Minnesota, all the way back to the NABC. Joel's been probably fishing that long, but nationally four years, four or five years. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, so I really do like, I mean, we've learned hundreds and hundreds of little tips and tricks and, you know, everybody, every fishing channel kind of has their own little, here's the new thing that they do on the YouTube channel. I really like kind of what we're doing with how we roll, just kind of saying, Hey, here's, here's some things we've learned. Here's how we do it. If it helps you great, we hope it does. Um, So we'll continue to do those. And then I think we've got a, given that our series are a little more serious, kind of as we're competing, trying to win a little more intense, we've got an idea kind of for a segment we're going to roll out. It's going to be a little bit more lighthearted. Um, and, uh, you know, tell a little bit of the funnier side of the, the tales from the road. I mean, we've got hundreds of stories that have happened over the last six years, just unbelievable stuff that comes up when you're traveling that much that, uh, you know, we really would like to tell some of those stories this year and have a little bit more lighthearted side of the channel too, on some of those. So we'll, we'll probably roll those out sometime this spring and mm-hmm. hopefully they're well received by people. Cause uh, we've got some pretty good ones to start probably involves Joel getting embarrassed, but or Greg yeah. dropping his boat on the ground. No, I don't talk about that. <laughs> we got all kinds of good ones. Nice. We might we might get into those yet tonight at the end. Uh, <laughs> How much? <I> refill. <laughs> so I guess so we can say like so kind of summarizing like bigger and better for the channel. Uh, you're going to have the black and blue, which is going to be the opens. You're going to have a two B tournament series, which is going to be the league. Uh, yep. You're going to still have your how we roll, which is kind of your tips and products and like kind of yeah, quick recaps and things like that. And then you're going to kind of add some kind of log storytelling type behind the scenes stuff for yep. 2021. And I'll just be, I think every year we'll probably debrief the channel. What did we do right? What did we do wrong? And how can we add value to uh, people? Uh, what's, you know, what's working? What do people like? And how do we keep doing it? Like anything, if you debrief every year, hopefully we can get a little bit better and grow it. And um, we're not going to have any shortage of content this year with the travel schedule we've got. So mm-hmm. Hopefully we can get it produced and get it out there. So, yeah. So Banger says hi. He's he's on board with the Phoenix. Maybe talk about that. Like you switched boats this year, Greg. What's what's? Uh... Yeah, you know, for a lot of guys have different reasons for that. Mine was really simple. I um, weird story. My first co angler experience. I went out to Lake Erie, and Seth Fighter drove me out there, and I stayed with like Seth, Figgy, Austin. There's a bunch of us staying. There. I don't know if Austin was there or not. I think Josh Douglas was there. So. We're, we're, we're all grouped up staying there, you know, and I'm, it's Lake Erie. It's a literally like an ocean. I mean, you might as well have taken me to the Atlantic ocean for all I, I knew. Right. And I had a 19 foot Ranger that I was fishing the NABC with at that point. And I drew Josh day one. Like we went and looked at the pairings board. They didn't do text at that point. We had to go look at the pairings board still. And I look over, I'm standing next to Josh who I'm rooming with. And I go, dude, I think I drew you. And he goes, nah, and drew him. And sure enough, he's, you know, one of the new guys at Warner's there was one of the first guys in a Phoenix there. And, and we went on a Lake Erie in bad conditions. And I, on the drive home, called Nate and said, I want to be your whatever second or third guy to get one. I'm get one up. Cause that's the safest I've ever felt in a boat and most comfortable. Um, 
and have been in one forever since then. Well, the reason I went back to Ranger is there's no Phoenix dealer in Kansas City. And when I was kind of pondering not not traveling nationally anymore, there's a really good Ranger dealership here who's my, mm-hmm. I spent my whole life fishing out of Rangers and walleye boats up up north and, and used to them. And, I, you know, it was a really comfortable boat to just have for around here. But I think from a national touring perspective, you know, being on these really big bodies of water and, and with my life on the line, it was really a no-brainer for me to go back to a Phoenix. And I love the brand, love the company. The boat's super safe and comfortable, and that's all I – I mean, I'm blessed as hell to be able to fish out of a boat like that. Sure. Um, you know, and travel around the country and do it. So, sorry to get long-winded there. Just had a good story with Josh. No, it's cool. Yeah, Josh is actually going to be on the stream in two weeks on the tw- uh, 20th. So. so, Joel, why don't you, like, slide over for a second? Your new toy. That's uh. So let's tell what's what's behind you guys there. That's a that's a freshly wrapped truck that says the sickness on it. Might be the wrong brand of truck, but no, it's definitely the right brand. No, we. uh, That's why. That's actually why I came down here this week, and we had a we had a bunch of uh, admin stuff to do Um, this week. Obviously, we had to get all our everything kind of booked for the year and uh, logistically, and do a bunch of admin stuff, but. I uh, just just got a wrap on my truck today, actually. So um, we're gonna be. Greg just got his new Phoenix, like he said, and he's got a got his Phoenix wrapped. And uh, I'm getting got my truck wrapped today. Greg's getting his wrapped tomorrow. So we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be all matching um, going across the stage um, or in front of the stage for the MPFL this year, uh, running the boats and trucks through. So a little cool. We're excited, and they turned out good. Um, should be uh, should be a fun year. Nice, very cool. That's a good-looking truck. Uh, yeah. Definitely, will turn some heads, and you know whether whether people watch the channel or they they think you're like extras on the Walking know, Dead. Gonna be, gotta be gotta be a lot more careful when I drive now. Yes, yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't really want to put my name underneath the uh, underneath the window there, but <laughs> I got talked into it. So nice. we'll be right. now when you when you when you when you beat somebody to a spot, they know whose truck to look for. In the nah, that's well. that's exactly it. <laughs> uh kent asks uh how much do you guys work together i mean obviously you guys are traveling together and kind of the off you know off the water infrastructure and working together and all that stuff how much do you guys work together and to what level uh you know a million dollar question yeah i do well i just i just like to follow kenny around and then i tell greg where i where i've been seeing him and (laughs) whoever gets the earliest boat draw right to kenny's spot right to kenny's spot now I mean, we, we work together a lot. I mean, you know, we, uh, and this year, this year, especially, I mean, you know, with the MPFL, these, these bodies of water that we're going to, the new bodies of water to both of us, big bodies of water, three days of practice, you know, we're going to be sharing everything. I mean, we're, uh, we're kind of working as a, as a real, uh, tight knit team and, um, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be sharing all of our information. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm getting bites, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm going to tell them, Hey, I'm getting bites right here. If you want to, there's enough fish here you know it's just it's kind of everything's kind of uh dependent on on what's going on where we're you know if, if greg's leading the tournament and you know after day one and and i'm sitting in 100th place obviously i'm gonna say hey i got some bites right here you go get it you know so it's uh you know i, I guess i don't know yeah i mean i think you've seen that be successful across the fishing industry in big tournaments here lately, there's usually little little pods of people that'll either room together or travel together. And the reason, I mean, the reason for that is it's a long, I mean, I did it by myself for a couple of years and it is a lonely road. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I did it without my, when we had our second kid too, a lot of times I'd be on the road for, you know, 20 weeks a year without my wife or or firstborn too. And 
um, you know, that's a, that's a tough spot. So I, you know, I think we definitely work well out there. We have definitely have our challenges this year too. I mean, there's definitely been some conversations where, you know, we're both type A guys and, you know, you're under a lot of pressure out there in, and when you're, you get tired, you get that stuff, you know, we're, we definitely have some issues too, that you got to work through. It's not all perfect um, doing that, but the benefits so far outweigh having, have, you just got to have, I mean, I, Rich, I'm sure you know this too, but just having good people around you is so important in life. You know, I've got a super supportive spouse that has been up for adventure my whole life. Doesn't matter whether I wanted to start a company up in Minnesota and move back up there and live in my dad's basement when I was in my twenties. Uh, you know, she was, she was up for that. Um, you know, and I know Joel has a lot of a really supportive family and, and good people around him too. And so, you know, I think having a teammate on the road is a big deal. Like, you know, I, going down the road this year, we're going to a tournament and my tire blows out on my, on my trailer. Instead of me being there on the side of the road, spending 20 minutes irritated, fixing it, doing it, you know, Joel pulls over next to me and we knock it out in five minutes and it's like it never even happened. You know, it, it, things like that, just having a, a team and a good group of people to be around is super important. But I know what Kenny was wanting to know is, you know, are you how, how are you doing it from a fishing standpoint? I mean, to be really specific, you know, we both are really practicing trying to find our own stuff. And first and foremost, we probably share information about bait, water temperature, patterns, fish movement. What do we think that is going to happen? And then, you know, what's coming in, you know, every tournament you've ever been in, nothing ever goes like what it happens in practice ever. It's never actually happened in the history of bass fishing. It's or what you read, yeah, or it's the stuff that you, if you go watch what happened YouTube, last time we were YouTube here. show online or whatever, and then you go there, you try to copy exactly what they're doing, it just it doesn't work. So, or it hasn't worked for yeah. me. Yeah, ninety percent of what we're doing is is those high level things that allow us to break the bodies of water down quicker, and then try and make good decisions on day one of the tournament. Um, you know, there is some other, there would be some other help to each other, like Joel talked about. That would be the exception. Um, and I think that's the way I've seen most other really good fishing teams kind of work together. They're sharing the basic information to try and help each other all get to the same conclusion. And then there's occasionally would be a situation in which it would make sense for Joel to, if I, if there's a spot we both kind of know about and something's going on there and I draw boat 197 and he's boat two, well, Joel's going to go there and I got to go figure out something else. Um, and, you know, so some of that happens, but um a lot of it is just the, those real high level. Does that make sense? Just the yeah, real yeah, high level strategy yeah. stuff that that having and, somebody to talk through that with on the water that's not an enemy is a big deal for success. Right. Somebody that you can trust is not going to yeah. what they tell you mm-hmm. isn't going to be misinformation, right? Yep. Like it's never. That's, they may not know the answer, but but they're not going to tell you something that that's not true, which is it's almost as important false, as yeah. I don't know. Did right? you do that this year? couple times i thought joel probably might have been at one point (laughs) i mean and not everything that we share we you know we do like like at rayburn for instance you know i was fishing brush piles i found a bunch of fish and brush piles greg found them in the grass and i said dude you got to go to the go to the brush piles he's like i found them in the grass well we both ended up catching them completely different ways but you know it actually helped me because as i was fishing brush piles I actually stopped in some grass and, and caught one good one in the grass. And I probably wouldn't have done that if I, you know, because I kind of ruled it out completely after practice. But I knew that Greg was getting some bites in the grass. So I said, you know, there's there's some bites to be had in the grass, you know, and I just found one little grass patch and I caught one good one, helped me out. And, uh, you know, just little things like that, that that help out. You know, we're not necessarily giving each other exact, you know, GPS coordinates, but um, yeah. just being able to share stuff, how we're getting bit and that kind of stuff. Is, yeah. And you're not going into it like, okay, you're going to go check out this arm and I'm going to go check out this arm. It's like, 
you kind of both go do your own thing and you're kind of giving each other like the pieces of the puzzle, right? You're sharing like, Hey, you know, this color is working. I'm catching them on the bottom. I'm catching them on moving baits. I'm catching them in three feet. I'm catching them in 30 feet. Like just so that you can start to both dial it in. I mean, right. I do think as we get with a schedule, like we have this year, for instance, though, as it, uh, you know, we're, we're back to back to back to back with short practices. I do think there'll have to be some strategy given to practice. You know, like we have short times on the water. I'll run up the river today and go check the water temperature and see if there's any, if it looks good or if it even feels fishy or you go down by the dam and then let's regroup for And then days two and three, we'll go do our own thing once we kind of have the water looked at. You know, I mean, there's some things we'll have to adjust, you know, when you don't have, like with an open, all this last year, every time we go down there, we'd have five days of practice. I mean, you're not really under a lot of pressure when you have five days. If you go out day one and don't, a lot of times I wouldn't even fish day one. No, I just go drive around just the go whole lake. Yeah. And, you know, we're not going to necessarily have that luxury. So, you know, I think there's always every situation's different, and you just got to have some people around you, really good people around you that you trust. Um, you know, and go to work with, and and things will work out in the long run if you can stick it out with that. You got good people around you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the, and the league, right? You can talk with other anglers during practice, and right, it's not like yeah. BPT where you can't even talk fishing with like your roommates. Right. Yeah, and I, I I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't institute some stuff like that at some point. Um, I think that would make it a little bit. I don't know. It makes it harder to. It's an interesting rule that BPT's got that. Yeah, I mean, like the Elite Series, obviously you can as long as somebody else fishing the you know in the tournament at the time, um, third day, fourth day, as long as that competitor's in the tournament, you can share information, do all that. So right. Very cool. So obviously there's uh, some repeats, but is there any, there was a question earlier from Logan, like what, is there a single lake or a couple lakes on the schedule that you guys are most stoked about, whether it's for fun or because you're confident you're going to do well, or because it's, you know, smallies or a new lake or anything like that. I'm excited to get up North and go, go smallie fishing this year. We didn't thousand islands. Yeah. Thousand islands. I've only been there. Well, I've actually never been there. We went to Lake Ontario for like a day and a half. Uh, a couple of years ago, before I went up to Champlain for the tour event, I think but, we're taken out right by Ontario too. Like we're going closer to yeah. the lake, yeah. So I think that may be in play. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going going to Smalling Lakes. I mean, Oneida. I'm looking forward to Oneida. We were supposed to go there this year. Obviously, it got canceled and got uh got went to Lay Lake instead. But I'm excited. I mean, Oneida's been good to me over the you know last couple of tournaments I fished there. It's been good to me, and I'm excited to to go back up and catch some catch some brown ones this year. I've got two that stick out. You fall off for the first NPFL is right before the classic and it's in March. I mean, if it doesn't somehow get super funky with the water color or level from some flood or something, I mean, that could be bananas. Um, we're mm-hmm. talking 30 and 40 pound bag potential out of you fall that time of year. Um, so, I mean, I'd have, I'd have to be anytime I got a chance to catch a, an eight pound bass or better in a tournament and catch a huge sack. Uh, any, when you put it on a bio like that, that time of year, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then Smith is about a month later. I just, I love Smith Lake. I love the scenery. I love, I love spotted bass fishing. They're kind of, I got a, I get a little antsy on the water. I feel like spotted bass are a lot like me, uh, you know, a little crazy. And um, I love chasing them anytime I can. I've done every spotted bass tournament I've, I've done, I've done well in. And Smith is, it's prime time on Smith there in early April. That'll be a fun tournament um, for that open. Uh, it'll be wide open. Um those two would be my two and one forty, but really all of them are going to be fun. I mean, right? 
I mean, you got to be looking forward to all of them in one way or the other, or you're, yep. you're in the right, in the wrong spot, right, or doing the wrong thing. But uh, let's just, I think now we, I kind of covered most of what I wanted to cover. I'm sure we'll get back to some of this stuff. I see some comments rolling in. So definitely anybody that's on the Facebook or the YouTube, start throwing the comments in. We'll probably start going rapid fire, hitting Greg and Joel up with some comments and questions. Uh, if you guys haven't yet, make sure you hit that thumbs up, whatever platform you're watching on this. Uh, so we get some more eyeballs on this stream so these guys can tell their story and, and more people see the replay and the live show and more questions get asked. So I appreciate everybody that's in here. We're, we're up over 50 combined viewers. So that's cool. Um, Gabe here, he says uh, he saw you guys fish table rock and we're catching them on finesse baits. He was impressed to see that you guys were catching them on something besides an A-rig like most of the field. So, um yeah, that was, that was, yeah, that was that was fun. I I had a that was actually my first time ever to uh, table rock fishing. Um, we went down there. We kind of just went down there just to go fishing, just to whatever, just go check out the lake. And then we ended up deciding to fish at BFL. And um, man, that was that was awesome. That was a, that was a fun time of year. I I actually did throw an A rig a lot in practice, and I got so mad that I lost like four in like an hour mm-hmm. trying timber. to fish. Yeah, fishing the timber. And I said, I'm done throwing an A-rig. I'm not throwing another. I only had like two left. And I was like, if I throw, you know, I, and I didn't catch anything on them either. I lost four A-rigs, never caught a fish on it. And uh, just gave up and went deep and started using my electronics and uh, catching catching them on little swim baits. And um, I think pretty much little swim baits would I, I caught most of my fish on. And, yeah, I mean, they're eating little tiny shad. Yeah, I just can't. I can't make myself throw an A-rig, man. I just can't do it. I, every time I pick it up, I just – I. Knowing I can't do it when it really counts, I just I can't do it. <laughs> I, I mean, like throwing. Yeah. I mean, I like throwing an A-rig, especially late in the fall up up in Minnesota. It's uh, you know that A-rig bite is is pretty fire up there. But um, yeah, didn't you lose like the state record in Wisconsin on an air, or Minnesota on a on a, I don't, I don't know if it's on an A-rig record, that but, you boat flipped and but I legit- it up? I legitimately started crying. <laughs> the smallmouth was so big, and I tried to boat flip it for some reason on an A-rig and. It broke the, it broke the A rig, and I, I haven't cried in a long time, and I actually started crying. So, so you was even even worse than losing at cribbage. I, I mean, I don't really that lose way worse so. than losing at cribbage, dude. Like when you got uh, one that you're wanting to put on a scale and wanting to know what it weighed. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know. <laughs> nice. like yeah, I, I actually threw the the A rig for the first time in a long time when I stopped at uh, uh, Wilson. I think is the one above Pickwick. Yep. Yeah. Man, did you did you see that lock when you were there? Yeah, I drove over it. It's in, I've been up. I actually locked in a tournament as a co angler, locked from Pickwick up to Wilson, and that has got to be one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It's like Jurassic Park in there. Um, oh, I guess I didn't. No, I that was the I was fishing below the lock that was Wheeler to Wilson. Okay, gotcha. I, mean, I did fish the tail race in Pickwick, but because it's actually a separate channel up to the other one, I never went up that channel for the actual lock because we couldn't lock. Um, it's it's but, insane. I mean, you get in there and you look up and you can't see the end of the top of the lock. And it's like, well, this isn't the Mississippi River and <laughs> pool, six, pool four and five. This is insane. I mean, it's really worth seeing um, someday if you ever go down there again. It's almost worth just going through that lock just to see it one time. Sure. And uh, But I just felt like, man, when I was driving home, like I felt like somebody beat my shoulders up with like a baseball bat after throwing an A-rig. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> but uh josh says what what rig are you throwing in minnesota uh i don't know there's a minnesota rig uh that uh what's her name yeah i i so the a rig i have i actually have some right over there but um i'm just throwing the flash mob junior but what i do is i throw i put spinners um all of them except for the middle one i just put uh 
put one hook and, and a swim bait coming out. And my hookup percentage is awesome. Um, you know, I, a lot of people throw dummies. I just don't ever throw dummies. I just throw, I don't throw an A-rig much, but when I do throw it, I throw all spinners and then just, uh, you know, I throw a chartreuse swim bait head with, uh, you know, a little three, three kai tech or whatever on it. And my hookup percentage, when they hit it, it seems like they always go for that middle swim bait. Yeah. Um, and the middle, popular one is wide. the hog farmer, Minnesota rig, which is also an all blade with one. Okay. Rig. Yep. Sure. And I do have some hog farmers too, but, um, yeah. yeah. So Britt says what, what business y'all running outside of fishing? I mean, uh, so when I was in my mid twenties, um, I had a chance to start a, a, a local co- Kansas city company here, started franchising. They were one of the largest building maintenance contractors in Kansas city. And, uh, just through some connections that my dad had from a previous, previous business connection, we got introduced and I got to open up one of their first franchises and came back to Minnesota and opened up citywide of Minnesota and, um, commercial building maintenance company. It's grown. We've grown every year for 15 years. It's been phenomenal to my family. It's been a great experience. Um, like just like trying to get started in fishing, the first five years probably weren't all that pretty. Living in my dad's basement with at twenty five with my wife, um, but uh, you know we we got it got it off the ground, and I probably walked into every single commercial facility in the Twin Cities myself twice, trying to trying to sell our company to them, and and from there I've got thirty five great employees that work for me right now that are sales and management people that that operate and run the business and help our. We basically help commercial properties in the Twin Cities with anything they would need, like snow removal, cleaning any maintenance service they would need on their commercial property, we can kind of do it all and try and really provide value to people that way. But instead of them having to use a lot of different people, they can kind of narrow down who they're using to us. So it's been good to my family. Joel worked there for quite a while too um, and worked with us there. And that's kind of one of the ways that we met was through that. Um, and uh, that business and all the people that work there now, thank you. Cause you allow us to come out and do this and uh, chase our dreams. So it's been a huge, huge success there. Um, and that's what I went to school for. I mean, I got a, I went through most of my master's program and I was just about to finish my MBA in business when this opportunity with citywide came up and I had, to, I dropped out of school and, and jumped on it. So hmm. that makes sense. In fact, his, his voicemail still suggests he works at citywide. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say that the guy there's our director of operations, Mitch is up there. If he's, if he sees or listens to this, he's probably going to be like, yeah, you know, Joel ain't been in lately. I'm going to check on that it's a little been, bit. It's been a few months <laughs> since I've been in. <laughs> Uh, Michael wants to know, so you guys have fished, uh, as co's and have fished with a lot of co's, any advice for co's fishing the Bassmaster opens? Um, you know, I had, a, I had a good run as a co-angler. Um, you know, I fished, I fish a few, uh, Bassmaster opens as a co-angler. Um, you know, one, I get that. I actually get asked that quite a bit and I was fortunate enough when I was fishing as a co-angler, I was traveling with Greg cause he was fishing as a pro, um, you know, one thing that really helped me out was, uh, being able to practice, you know, I had a lot of co-anglers this year that came up and they're like, yeah, I just showed up last night. What are we That's doing? Tough. What are we throwing? What's the watercolor? What is there grass out there? You know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, one big thing that helped me out as a co-angler was being able to practice, kind of understand what was going on, what baits were working, watercolor, lures, what options there were for, you know, for the boaters to go out, you know, is there a bite, a deep bite, a shallow bite, you know, a medium depth bite, or is it just mostly a, a shallow chatterbait bite? Or, you know, just kind of getting the understanding of what's actually going out on the lake um, to be able to set myself up as a co-angler, knowing what to bring. And, you know, with only being able to bring six rods and, you know, a small tackle bag, you kind of got to have an idea of what's going on instead of just trying to bring everything. And then, you know, for the first couple hours, 
you know, of the morning when you're actually supposed to be fishing, you're trying to tie different stuff on or actually figure out what's going on still. So, sure. So, you're saying getting out and formulating your own opinion and assessment right. of the lake, yeah, uh, to apply is big for you, yeah, definitely. And uh, bringing a drop shot and a wacky rig Cinco and a Ned rig <laughs> definitely doesn't hurt either because you're always a lot always, of finesse, a lot of finesse, though. a lot of finesse techniques. I mean, a, a Cinco, a wacky rig Cinco. We'll catch fish obviously anywhere in the country, and so we'll drop shot and in pretty much any other finesse technique, shaky head or nedry. I think being really watchful with your pro too. I would have said everything Joel just said, and then if I was I was thinking while he was talking um, back to the days, and just being real watchful with what your guy's doing and making sure you, if he's if if he's missing or something or he's not doing something that you take advantage of that um, in a in a appropriate way. If there's certain areas or certain casts they're not making kind of watch where that's happening and, where, and when your opportunity comes strike, right? You're not going to get all this, this, the same amount of opportunities most of the time to make that perfect cast at the perfect look and stuff, but there's other opportunities to be had. And when those come, you got to be ready and you, you have to be watchful and, and make sure when those opportunities come that you're, that you're ready to take advantage of it. Um, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. No, definitely. For sure. Um, Thanks for that. Uh, Logan wants to know what, what, what advice do you guys have for finding fish out deep bait? Number one thing I learned in the last two years, fish need food. Um, and particularly after the spawn is particularly throughout most of the country, they need to be around a food source. And so out deep it's bait. Um, I mean, it, it depends on what you mean by deep. If you mean 22 foot deep, then you need to find structure where they can eat crawfish or bait um but as the year goes on it seems they get more and more bait orientated and yeah, for me in the fall yeah for me it's as you start getting into that really deep structure where a lot of it's you know summer fall winter the months where you're going to be mostly fishing super deep um you know this that's that's a tough question too there's so many different types of bodies of water there's river systems there's you know so there's reservoirs there's natural lakes so it really kind of depends on where you're at but in some way, shape, or food, once they get done spawning and they start to go through the, the next three phases, which is summer, fall, winter, they need food. And if you can figure out what, what they're eating and why, and you're going to find those bass in large numbers, and you're going to find the better quality bass. My advice is to go get some Hummingbird Electronics, <laughs> a Hummingbird yep. Mega 360, and go find some structure out deep, and you'll be able to see the fish on That's your electronics. He actually brings up a good point, which is being committed to sitting behind your grass without fishing. I can't tell you how much better I've done in fishing since I finally said, all right, to hell with this. I'm not pulling out a rod. I'm just going to go look around. And to me, if I can find them on my graph, that's just as good as catching them today. In fact, it's probably more fun. Would you say it's more fun when you I, actually find them on I your love, graph? I love the hunt. I yeah. mean, I love setting the hook and, and uh, catching a bass, but I love the hunt. Yeah, I've learned to embrace the hunt them. a lot. Yeah. Joel's taught me exactly. that a lot. Um enjoy figuring out what they're eating why and where they are um you know then you can go catch them the next day but i don't know does that make sense what we're saying yeah cool that's probably my biggest kryptonite is i cannot stand graphing <laughs> yeah it was for me too i mean finally got my butt kicked enough in these tournaments that i went i gotta figure out what i'm what i'm missing there's and, a doc here you're, you're gonna be around it huh rich well I mean, That's I don't right. hate docs, but like I, I <laughs> a few different uh, ways, but I'd still yeah, like I do. I don't know. I don't know how to skip a dock or, you know, I'm always hitting the dock and then the homeowners are coming out and yelling at me and I just give me offshore. I can't hit anything out there. 
I mean, I'll do it all. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I definitely like fishing shallow, but I just, <clears throat> I don't mind catching them deep. I don't mind fine fishing deep, but I end up fishing a lot more deep probably than I end up crafting, <clears throat> which is probably a deterrent to some degree for sure. Um, and obviously it sets up differently. I fish mostly up north still on natural lakes where graphing has its place, but it's not nearly as dominant as it is on a ledge fishery or a brush pile or, a, you know, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I mean, you guys know that, right? I mean, they, when the fish get in the grass, you, you still got to fish from a little bit. You can still graph around and find the, the holes and the turns and the points and the fingers and the clumps, but a lot of times you're still not seeing them. So you still got to, you know, drop something down there. And so uh, that's probably why I'm a little bit as a little bit reluctant to commit to that graphing as much as I probably should. So. All right. Oh. Josh says the deadly Nedley. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a big Ned rig guy, but it has a place for sure. Um, it's, it's definitely put a few fish in the boat over the years. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, and then, you know, at the name of the game, when you're fishing at, at the highest levels <clears throat> where entry fees are expensive and, and, uh, you know, you have a, a qualification path, you know, getting bites is the, the deal and you can't really let your pride get in the way of how you're going to catch them. So that's, that's uh, exactly it. I, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I don't necessarily like to do, but, um, you know, I just, I never really threw a shaky head before I came down South, you know, I was always kind of a, a drop shot or an Edward guy up North. Or jigworm, jig yeah. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I just never threw it. I never threw a shake yet. I just didn't have confidence in it. I just didn't, didn't ever throw it. And now I throw the crap out of it just because it gets bites and I don't get hung up like I, you know, like I would on, on an exposed hook. And uh, man, it's I uh, have not caught a bass on a jigworm. I bet in four years, and that it's I just it just hit me how long it's been since I've actually done it. Because, I mean, I cut my teeth up a decade ago on Minnetonka and gull and all that. And, I mean, it's a staple. I mean, thousands of bass that you catch over time doing that. I just had, it's funny I haven't had an opportunity to do it. Um, traveling south so much, I haven't got to fish many of those lakes up there. I need to get up there and get on a good. Rich, you need to get me on a jigworm bite this summer if I'm up there. Don't mind. Uh, but I, will, I would say I caught fish on a jigworm on Gunnersville in April. Did you? So I think grass is the key there. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It definitely is. The few times I I've been around grass, it just hasn't been the right yeah. scenario. Yeah, it's, we didn't see that much grass this year. No. I'm Rayburn, obviously, and Kissimmee, but whenever I'm in Florida, I'm always I'm not throwing a jig where I'm throwing a dang yeah. a Senko or uh, <laughs> a Texas ring Senko or a, something a speed worm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always a dang speed worm. No, on those, on those like river show like those kind of side river shoals on Gunnersville where there was like a milfoil eelgrass yeah mix yeah. i was able to to get bites on that so I, it's really i mean it's completely it's different than the grass we have right and the window in which you wouldn't be flipping it or burning a spinnerbait or throwing a chatterbait around is not huge so it definitely would be a, a niche at best in those lakes but it's it's a tool for sure yeah. no definitely um, <clears throat> Logan, more follow-up questions. Uh, he's, where do you find post-spawn fish on Midwest fisheries? Or where do you like to look? And... So I guess by Midwest, are we talking northern natural lakes or Midwest reservoirs? Um, I believe Logan is from Wisconsin, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of Wisconsin, Minnesota. I mean, once those fish move out, you know, once once the uh, once the bass are done spawning, I mean, obviously bluegill start spawning, and they're on those bluegill beds, um, some yeah. hard bottom areas, you know, in, in the grass. Um, bluegills and crawfish is the keys. I mean, yeah, if you can find them rocky hard bottoms where crawfish are going to be. If you can find where the bluegill spawn, and then the bluegill move out to grass edges or or follow the bait for those two things that's their main forage mm-hmm. right i mean is crawfish and bluegill up there um and if you can find those groups of fish that's where especially the better ones are going to be your bigger fish are going to be yeah, around those typically and you know i'm i always like you know finding finding grass areas with with the hard hard bottom spots in them or come you know moving outside of them um you know i spend a lot of time obviously on my electronics and you know finding those those weed edges with with hard bottom coming out of them or you know the inside of the weeds um is where a lot of those fish you know tend to hang up and and around those bluegill beds and and that kind of stuff so yeah and bluegill beds are pretty easy to see on side imaging oh yeah offshore. yeah definitely like they actually like really that honeycomb really shows up uh yeah. pretty bright on uh side imaging so that's that's probably the one easiest thing to look for when you start driving around offshore along the weed edges uh, on the natural lakes is looking for those you know pockets of uh bluegill beds and even if they're not on the bluegill beds the fact that they're bluegill beds there tells you there's some kind of firm bottom whether it's gravel or a little bit of rock mixed in so uh that's just a good area to poke around in in general uh all year but um especially post-spawn yeah yeah uh driftless says thoughts on chase baits i honestly have never used a chase baits have you i'm not very familiar with chase Mm -hmm. baits they have some soft plastics that have some like, you know, the old power bait leeches and some of those like Ooh. reaper leeches that have like the kind of quivering. So they have like yeah. some creature baits, but then their tails kind of turn into that kind of like, I'm not using them. They're interesting looking. Um, yeah. I think the evolved Vibra grub was another one that kind of looked like that and had that kind of like weird kind of tail, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar no opinion haven't used them um so so off the water editing wise uh who's who's carrying the uh the brunt of it between you two and the editing i don't think we would even let joel touch the computer so um i run away i um i spent a lot of time with sam learning how to edit really early on back last year we were just talking this time last year we were in florida getting ready for the open and filming all the black and blue intro stuff. And so was teaching me all this and it's huge learning curve. So I did a lot of it myself. Um, and, uh, you know, pretty quickly realized that it's like a full-time job <laughs> and I can't travel and be a husband and be a father and be a fisherman and run my company and do it. So, um, you know, we have a, um, a gal named Abby, uh, Abby Keeney's from Kansas City here. She's actually uh, 19 and basically kind of interning slash working for me as a assistant. Um, and I, I've got enough other stuff going on with the business I run that, you know, she's able to keep busy helping me keep things in order with my, you know, email and keeping things logistically in order for me for my executive position. You know, and then she's able to do all of the, you know, being 19 years old, it's not hard for her to learn technology or to learn how to fly a drone or to learn how to edit or to learn how to do things like it just comes natural. And it's, she actually fished in high school. Um, and actually I think won a tournament on grand, a high school tournament on grand, um, out of Kansas city here. So kind of got lucky 
and it fell into our lap. She's going to school for that, um, you know, to a community college here in town. And she travels with us, um, does a lot of the, you know, B-roll filming and a lot of the things like that. And then she'll edit. She's able to do most of our editing after the tournament's over with to get it together and going. So, I mean, for, for us to be able to produce the content that we have to put out to continually put that content out, there was not something the two of us could do together. Now, I still jump in and I'll help her or I'll, you know, I, I know enough to be dangerous, but um, she's definitely shouldering the burden and grateful to have the help because, I mean, you've seen how much work it's just, I mean, you know, Rich, yeah, it's just an, an enormous amount of work uh, to do this and uh, lucky, lucky to have some help. So, yeah, she's, she's definitely an awesome addition uh, to the team and, you know, she loves fishing. She, uh, she fishes the East Kansas Bassmasters with her dad. And I think they took second overall this year yep. in, the, in the team. So she, she understands fishing. Um, she, she loves fishing. She, you know, it's, it's cool for her to be out and around all these, um, you know, these tournaments and be able to see, you know, a lot of the guys that she's seen on TV. Um, she's shy. Uh, so we haven't been able to get her to hop into any of the videos, but I think this year we'll try and incorporate her into a few of the shots and videos and get her some credit and, um, you know, kind of get her involved in stuff like that. But, uh, you know, definitely nice to have that help. And then, you know, from there, I basically do what I can. And we try to keep Joel from breaking stuff. So Joel just has to stick to fishing and organizing tackle. And yeah, I mean, does he at least wash <laughs> your truck or anything? Or what, what does Joel bring to the table? I mean, the guys, I mean. I, I, I do have to change the oil in his, uh, in his motor tomorrow. I'm not allowed to touch a tool of any kind. Like, I'm not allowed to even take the cowling off my motor. Like yeah, I, I do all I the maintenance work. So, I mean, he's, you know, a little bit of a help there. While I'm sitting over there like a computer nerd with my headset on, rocking the music, like editing, you know. Joel's over there cranking a wrench, making stuff happen. Though it's you know it works. All right, um, all, right. all right. So there's there's some some balance there. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Driftless says he bought a couple of eighteen dollar bird baits and the wings broke off. So I, would, I probably wouldn't be excited about that. Uh, no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> good question from Zeb here. You, I don't know. Have either of you guys fished Winnebago before? Or the Winnicani system? No, I I never had. Such a good story. So when I, I was buried in citywide right like buried in starting it and a, a good buddy of mine jared nicolite um came to work for me and moved up from nebraska and i didn't know i just just gotten to know him through work and he i never fished a tournament before never even fished for bass before to be honest with you like i mostly fish walleye perch grew up doing that and uh Jared goes, Hey, do you want to enter this this new NABC thing that, that just started up? Do you want to go enter this team tournament together? And you know, I had a fish and ski boat. I'm like, Oh, sure, dude. I mean, I'll do it. And it was the first NABC and it was on Winnebago. And that's the only time I've been there. I think we caught five fish throwing a brush hog around this little pocket or whatever. But uh I literally have neither of us have almost any experience on the body of water because whatever I did that week, I mean, I was fishing out of a fish and ski. I didn't never really even fish for bass, so and that was the beginning of on the way on the drive home from that. I bought my 19 foot Ranger, made a phone call, and we've been hooked on it ever since then. Um, we had so much fun, and I mean, I think we were in the parking lot, and Austin and Willie were teamed up together. Willie Papa, and they pull up next to us, and Willie's breaking in his brand new bass cat. You know, we're sitting there in this fishing ski, and it's like, yikes! I think we're a little over our head here uh, with the field quality, Jared. Uh, but uh, we had a lot of fun, man. All, everybody in the Minnesota bass fishing scene's always been awesome, particularly in that trail that year, man. We had a ton of fun, and I've just been hooked on fishing ever since then. So, only experience on Winnebago has been my first tournament. Um, I don't think we're going to use any of that info <laughs> when we show up in July. Doubtful. 
I mean, you know where yeah. the ramp is now. So <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I've never been there. You know, it's funny. I uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. And I was born and raised in Rice Lake, uh, kind of northwest Wisconsin. Moved down to Madison and driven by it a bunch of times. And I've I've never fished it and don't know anything about it. So, um, you know, I'm, is it? There's enough information out there. Obviously, the uh, Bass Pro Tour or whatever is out there last year. And, you know, there's a bunch of stuff we can watch online and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I kind of like going to New Bodies Water like that, just not having any idea yep. what to do out there or where to go or, you know, just go out there and just kind of do my own thing. And, um, you know, it seems it seemed in the past so far to, to kind of work for me and not have any preconceived notions. So, uh, but, yeah, long story short, I uh, I have not ever been there. Spencer wants to know: Did you did you have to go mix a drink or what? I uh, something like that. Yeah. He's itching, <laughs> itching a little bit. Spencer sees right through you. Yeah, um, yeah it's interesting. I mean, I fished there a handful of times, had decent success. It's a it's a very challenging, but I think it's a very fun fishery um, to unlock. Um, there's so much. It doesn't look that big on the map, but it's actually quite sprawling and huge uh, when you consider the fox and the wolf and the the poigan and the winnicani. Yeah, and we have to be. We can't get. We can't really talk much about the lake, to be honest. No, I'm, yeah. saying, like, I'm not giving. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done. I've done a little bit of research yeah. um, online. You know, just kind of just kind of looking at it because it kind of just piqued my interest when I saw it on the schedule. And I mean, it's a it's it's a massive uh, yeah. body of water. I mean, yeah. you know, the whole the whole chain. I mean, there's. You know, from the little bit of research I've done, I mean, obviously you can do, uh, you can go up to rivers and, you know, fish, fish river systems, or you can, uh, you know, go fish the Poigan or whatever those lakes are that go, go into, uh, those two river systems. That's going to be fun to go break. Summertime yeah, in Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> smallmouth and largemouth. I mean, I guess the guy, I think somebody asked there, do we going to focus on smallmouth or largemouth? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I have no idea. I just, you know, from what I've done, I, I know that there's a, a lot of offshore stuff out in Winnebago yeah. um, that I might, if there's some offshore rock and that kind of stuff, and I can go catch and potentially win the tournament on smallmouth offshore, probably going to go offshore and go look for smallmouth. So yeah. it's, it's just, kinda, it's really interesting. It's like, to me, like if you took pool eight or million and the lax and just kind of jumbled them all together and like spit them back out. Kind of like yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. That's what I've, I've kind of gathered. It's one of those things where you can just pick your poison and go fish your strengths and do whatever yeah. you want. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure. But the the wind is a huge factor on Vago. Well, it's yeah, it's more a big so body of water and shallow. With it too, being so of, shallow like that, man, when yeah. I that was my first taste of something like that with that stupid fishing ski, I was fishing that tournament on dude. When we got out there and hit one of those things for the first time, I was like, well, that happened fast. Uh, like I, mean, I mean, it gets. <laughs> giantly big it's worse than Malax, i think yeah so. hmm. uh do either of you guys have favorite baits for the mississippi river and do you have a favorite pool um you know i mean i've i've honestly i haven't fished mississippi river that much i mean i've, I've fished uh pools four and five um quite a bit uh fish st jude you know uh, buddy scott and i fished fish st jude for a few years I think three years and uh you know it just depends on, on the time of year um you know what you're doing out there obviously there's again you can go out there and kind of fish your strengths um if you if you like to frog fish you can go out there and frog fish i've always done real good on a carolina rig 
Um, I've actually thrown an A-rig out there in the fall and in the spring and, and had good success or spinner bait, uh, chatter bait. Um, you know, fishing the St. Jude, we, we always fished in the spring. So we always did real good on, uh, jerk baits, um, spinner baits, chatter baits, you know, that kind of thing. Um, net rig, you know, that kind of stuff. So I just, I don't, I don't, I don't get down there as much, you know, I, I don't have, don't live far from it, but I, sh- and I sh- it's an awesome body of water. I just don't fish it very much. It's too busy. Yeah, probably on prior Lake when he's home. What's that? Too busy dragging jigglers at Prior Lake when you're home. Yeah, full yeah. Prior. Prior's getting good now. Uh, Logan's got some questions. He's he's going to fish a high school tournament uh, down in Hartwell at the end of June. You guys have any? You guys have? You guys fish Hartwell this year, didn't you? Or, yeah, we did. It was later in the year. When did we fish in September? We were later. Yeah. But, no, I mean, you got some experience with the Hartwell herring that system. I think. Like, what what would you think end of June down that area? What would be your tips? Hmm. We were well. just moving. You know, I, there is a period of time on that body of water where the bluegill are up shallow, and you can you're going to win and you're going to catch good ones chasing that bluegill bite up around docks and up around other shallow structure, and it's very prominent. We when we were there, they were out on the the brush piles, cane brush piles, piles, whatever. And cane piles, yeah. You know, they were and they were coming to us from that bite because the bluegill bite was over. So if I had right now, I, I honestly, I'm so scrambled with the schedule we're looking at next year. I can't remember exactly when we were there in 2020. Um, I think we were there in September, but I, for August, because uh, we just came from Rayburn. I could find out. But at some point that time of year, it's going to be post spawn, and if I had to, if I had to make a bet right now, it would be that they're going to be there's a potential shallow bluegill bite, and you can catch them shallow. Um, yeah, they were the the bass were definitely there was a shallow bite um, before we got there. Uh, I actually talked to a local that was on the water that was fishing the tournament, and he was telling me uh, we were kind of doing the same thing out on the cane piles. And he told me um, that you know a week or two before we even got there that there was a really good shallow bite uh, fisher up on the brim or you know bluegills. Brim, yeah, they call um, brim there. <clears throat> that you know it was it was a completely different bite a couple weeks before we got there so you know i mean bass bass live shallow you know there's always bass shallow um but it just happened to be that majority of the fish when we got there were out offshore in the cane piles and brush piles so i think that's a solid thing for somebody from wisconsin going down there rather than trying to chase the herring if you can find that 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 brim bite that brim bed bite the bluegill bed bite that could be a something that would feel pretty comfortable and easy to do and when that goes, those are typically the biggest fish in the lake biting. Hundred percent, yeah, yeah, no big ones. Yep. they're that not could dumb. Be, that could be easy meal baits. There. It could be uh, you know senkos. Could be prop baits. Could be you know frogs. It could be a lot of different things depending on the water level. Uh, that could be a fun bite. So, mm-hmm. uh, have you fished the Madison Chain, Joel? You know, that's kind of, I did. I uh, lived on Lake Monona uh, when I lived down there. I lived in Monona, actually. Um, I fished it a bunch. I, I pretty much stayed on on Monona. I did uh, fish Lake Mendota a little bit in Wobiso. But I just had like a little 14-foot, when I lived down there, I, was, I just had a little 14-foot uh, John boat, basically, like a 20-horse on it, and fished a bunch. Just, you know, went out after work and then uh bought my first bass boat when i was down there and then as soon as i bought my first bass boat i actually moved to minnesota so i didn't get i didn't get to spend as much time as i wanted to down there but 
the little bit of time I did, man, I had a, I had a really good time. That's a, that's a fun fishery down there for sure. So what, what would your advice flip the foil fish? Oh, I always did. Oh, I forget the name of the bay where I lived. Um, there's a bay right before you go into the, to Lake Obisa. I'd, I'd always go fish. I'd always flip an, a beaver into the foil and man, we uh, had a lot of fun. Catch a lot of fish flipping the foil. Josh has uh, what, what ski, what fishing ski did you have, <clears throat> Craig? Oh, it was a chaparral. I actually got it on Lake Minnetonka for my wife and I to be able to, she wanted to be able to go out and enjoy Lake Minnetonka a little bit. It was a, you know, this was back when I had just started my business after a few years. So we didn't have any money and, I'm sure I took out a loan for whatever the value of this, this thing was at one of the dealerships there around the lake. I don't remember exactly what dealership it was, but, you know, we bought a, a nice little chaparral, little Merc cruiser in the back, put a little, and of course I was like, hon, it's going to be a Minco, there's going to be a trolling motor somewhere on this boat and just, you know, put it up on top on the front of it. And I think we, we had that for two or three years um, and mo- did a lot of fishing on Minnetonka with it, actually just kind of learning the area and learning how to fish grass up there. It wasn't really something I'd done a lot and, um it seems like a lifetime ago to be honest with you though um, that almost sounds more like a ski and fish than a fish and ski <laughs> yeah there you go ski and fish that's what it was there you go sorry if i didn't say it right but that's yeah that's what it was uh, are you guys allowed to throw the rig on the league doubtful no no we're not we're not allowed to i know we're not you saw it yeah uh josh says you think it's the boaters that make prior suck worse than tonka <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy, crazy out there this year, man. I I actually spent a little bit of time out there. My uh, my girlfriend and I actually fished. There was I think a Thursday night tournament out there. They'll uh, just show up and and go fish, and we went out there. Man, it was crazy this year. I've never, you know, I've this first time in like a couple of years I've been out on prior, and I've never seen it that bad. The boat traffic, it was it was bad. It's big wakeboard boats. I mean, they're having fun and and good for them. But man, they. Uh, it definitely put a lot of water on on the back deck of my boat this year when I was out there. Nice, yeah. I, I, speaking locally, like there was times like on a Tuesday afternoon at like one o'clock, I would try to like sneak out to like Crystal, and the ramp would be full. Yeah, it's, <laughs> un, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, thanks everybody that came over from the Bateman stream. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, Bankston says you ruined our winning streak. <laughs> oh, Bankston, banger! So is Natalie. Josh said he got swamped three times on prior this year. Yeah, be careful out there for sure. Prior is the new Tonka. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think back in the day when prior was really firing, probably when when Joel was like still in diapers and wasn't even fishing. <laughs> that's when it was truly like the little Tonka, like way back, probably even before Greg was fishing bass in Minnesota. Uh, prior was like a little Tonka junior, like the weights that would kick out on the like Thursday nighters out there were just as good as uh, Tonka back in the day. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked to uh, Paul Roush. I remember him telling me he had like eight fish for like 40 pounds out there. I don't know if it was him or there was, there was a bag weight in like eight fish for like 40 pounds. Something like that. That's, he said, "Just kick out, kick out biggins." And you know, it's, I mean, there's, there's good ones in there. I mean, there's twenty, you know, twenty, twenty-two pound bags being caught out there now, or there has been in the past year. So it's sure. it's fun. It's a good league. So you guys have off limits at a league, so you guys are probably going to do a little bit of fun fishing, I would assume, like as you're like on lakes adjacent, as you're like 
prepping, right? Because you're going to probably have a little bit of downtime between, you know, some of these tournaments where you won't be the official practice, right? So it'll probably give you some time to do some kind of cool stuff. Do you plan to do any, like, filming type stuff? Or is that just going to be your R&R kind of, like, honing your craft time? Yeah, I mean, hopefully we don't uh, we don't have to do a lot of maintenance on stuff this year. I mean, it's just, you know, it's inevitable. I mean, traveling on the country, fishing a bunch, you're going to tear stuff up. You know, there's you got to always give yourself room for maintenance days and that kind of stuff and just, you know, just maintenance that you got to do anyhow, you know, change the oil in your motors and, and whatever. But, yeah, I mean, we're planning on going down to Florida a little bit early. I think we're going to, you know, we're talking about maybe going to Okeechobee, but I think there's might be a tournament down there, so we don't want to mess that up. But, you know, we, we're going to we're gonna go down to Florida early and uh, go fish somewhere. I mean, it's, you know, I want to be somewhere warm uh, before we get to really kick things off. So <clears throat> we'll go down there and do maybe do some filming and kind of just uh, we're still trying to set up the schedule of, you know, exactly when we're getting to each campground and when. Um, and we're going to have a week, you know, between some tournaments here and there. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, you know, we'll definitely go out and try to try to get some filming and, you know, try to hit hit places. Uh, I, I really want to go to, um, you know, go to some big fish factories when the time is right to uh, sure. try to catch some real big ones on camera and, and just have fun doing it. So. I think concept wise too, maybe is we're still early at this. Maybe I still struggle sometimes with like those downtimes, like you're talking about there, Rich. I just need an idea. Like what should we be collabing with somebody? Should we be trying to do a one versus one versus somebody? I mean, there's just kind of a content glitch in my head where there's so much else going on. Mm-hmm. I just need a little creative help maybe with, you know, what should we film during those downtimes? Um, Cause I do think we want to film and we'd like to, but we want to have fun with it. I just don't always necessarily, when I'm in the heat of battle there out there, I'm always so wore out half the time. I don't have the energy to, mm-hmm. so we need to come up with that plan ahead of time. So it's already planned out and we know what we're doing. And hopefully if we can get our kind of head wrapped around the schedule, maybe pick your brain after this is over with at some point too. Cause I, I sure. think we should film a few things and do some collaboration with some people and have some fun, but I'd be curious what, what would play well or what people would want to see or how we could make that happen so that we don't have to try and figure that out on the fly. Cause once we're down there, you know, you're just too burned out to do it. Or you can just live stream your your crimmage <clears throat> tournaments. We can do I, that. Too. I do think we should live stream more. I mean, we haven't gotten into that. You could probably teach yeah. me if you wouldn't mind teaching me a little bit or helping us with the logistics, a little tip or trick on that. We need to kind of figure that out because I think we could have a lot of fun with that too. We so, do some so giveaways. Filming, there was a question earlier that I was meaning to pin <clears throat> up at the time. Were you filming when you tried to boat flip that smallmouth that broke your rig? I wasn't. I wish Dang. I was. Oh yeah. I was actually, I was probably like three or four years ago. I was up in northern Minnesota late in the fall. It was like October. end of October. I think it was end of October, maybe even early November. I feel like I and could get when they were, <laughs> What's that? I feel like I could cast where you were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we definitely do a, we do a little challenge uh, guys trip up there every year. And man, there's, uh, there's always some big ones caught. But yeah, I, I wasn't, wasn't filming. I wish I was. Um, Hopefully we can I can get that back someday and and uh, get it on camera, but actually catch the fish. Uh, so Snake River guy, I don't know what, if you guys have insight on this or not, or have seen this. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about sponsors dropping companies, even with you know, I mean, most fishing companies are re, you know reporting record sales. I mean, if you look at inventory levels at Omni or Tackle Warehouse, you can see that you know they're selling plenty of baits. There's 
uh, I'm sure when you guys went to try to get boats or spare parts and things like that this year and graphs for your boats, like there's just not a lot on the shelf. So these companies are clearly selling a lot of merch. Uh, I mean, have you guys, have you guys ran into any of that where you've seen adjustments or companies that didn't want to talk because the, the, you know, they're talking about the recession or COVID or, or general, maybe have friends. I mean, do you guys have any insight? I, I mean, I haven't had a I mean, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, coming from a business background, you know, I, I look at fishing differently because um, I, I kind of see from a company's standpoint is how I just naturally look at it. I don't, and, and I would by no means have any great insight on the particularly like endemic fishing sponsors. Uh, so being new to the industry, I just don't, you know, I haven't done a lot of that. Um, but from what I can see and just overwhelming with business experience in general, um, there, there always seems to be on social media or other platforms and just whenever you get anglers together anglers community there always seems to be a lot of hard feelings around sponsorship in fishing um and i think you got to look at it from you know there's only a handful of companies in the entire fishing industry right there's not very many there's very few and there are um i mean right now there's the you got mlf Bassmasters, and now the mpfl plus all the other anglers that are around plus high school college i mean there is a huge influx of anglers and there's only a few companies to go around. So, I mean, the math just doesn't, there isn't that many people to sponsor 400 people. So there's only going to be a select few that are really going to be the ones that companies are going to back. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. Um, but I, and it, I think it actually makes sense too. I mean, it, I don't think companies are being evil or doing something wrong or trying to drop pros while profits are high. It's just a simple for these for people. It's a simple business deal. There's there's going to be a few key people that help them achieve their goals, and they're, they're those are who those people are going to partner with. And um, I think you're really going to have to look at a sales process for non endemics. You know, and that's our, a lot of what Joel and I look at um, for the future for to pay for increased entry fees over time. There'll have to be a, a process for that. But um, you know, I don't know if I, if that answered the question there. I, I I think what's going on is normal and is seems normal to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think I, I think I know, um, I don't remember the, uh, the person's name that, that said that or asked that question, but I haven't had it. I haven't, it hasn't directly affected me. And, and I'm assuming they're talking about a boat company because there is one boat company out there that I've seen that, um, you know, a lot of people aren't going back to and, Honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know the story. I'm sure there's a story behind it or there's a reasoning behind it, but I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't know anything about it. Or well, not enough to reason. make yeah. a public comment about it, right? Know. You know, I, it hasn't. You know, with the comment with the sponsors that I have, they've all been all been great. I haven't had any uh, any issues with any of that personally. So I just, I guess, I can't really make a make a real good comment on it, to be honest. gonna unmute myself uh back to kind of fishing what would you guys say you know your what is your favorite or strongest techniques like uh, what you label yourself like what is your your go-to or your favorite or your strong points for each of you from antony um i mean after this year i mean it seems like i had a spinning rod in my hand 
a lot more than I expected to. But you know, being from Minnesota, being smallmouth fisherman, I I personally I like I like having a spinning rod finesse techniques. You know, I just feel like they catch big fish and they catch all the fish. You know, you can you know you can always catch fish on finesse techniques, and they they also catch big ones. So I you know I, I like fishing finesse, but I don't have a problem picking up a big weight and and uh, power fishing as well. Yeah, real short and sweet finesse. Uh, I love it. I like everything about it. Um, feel most comfortable doing that. I mean, I, I do have a lot of experience doing different power fishing stuff and will continue to try to do it. And I know that that's certain times a year, certain bodies of water under the right conditions, you better be power fishing or you're fishing for 50th. Um, but for the most part, I like I, I like finesse fishing. That's what I like doing. Yeah, I do think I – were you throwing a DT6 on a spinning rod? Mm-hmm. I actually learned that. I can't do it. It's a long story, but <laughs> what is, yeah, what is, what is wrong with that guy? I can't throw a jerk bait on a spinning rod either. And it's just me personally. But so, I mean, I got taught that by some guys in Tennessee um, over homemade balsas. And sure. so, once I got comfortable doing that with homemades, I got to where any kind of lighter weight, smaller, smaller crankbait fishing is, I, I like doing that. Um, you know, anything from there on up, I'm obviously going to throw on a glass rod or do what do what's right. But I actually got taught doing that on real lightweight homemade stuff, and it actually works really well with a DT6. Anything bigger than that, it's obviously dumb, but I'm sure I it looks weird. Maybe like a number five shad rat, but anything bigger than yeah. that. Yeah. Out of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's, I'm definitely not the only one, though. That's kind of a little – I mean, there's a thing there. There's quite a few little, little guys in the, little, in the homemade crankbait world that, that do that, so – Luckily, they both have girls. Otherwise, you guys would be out of luck, according to swim school. So, <laughs> in the south, you won't get girls. Be honest, spinning right. <laughs> That's funny. That's good stuff. Yeah, I definitely want a girl because I, I got a lot of spinning rods in my in my rod locker right now. So yeah. But you got a lot of coin, and that's you got some... your girl up in walleye country. So you were you know spinning that's rods right. were cool. Cool. <laughs> I've taken a few co-angler tongue lashings about the amount of uh, spinning rods on my deck, too. A little bit of good lighthearted, usually. Um, Sycamore, interesting. So first 60-degree sunny day in March with, you know, low 40-degree water temperature. What's, what's, what are you guys going to do? Hmm. I assume we're talking if it's 60 degrees day sunny in March, 40 degree water. We're talking about up north again. Well, I mean, yeah, it's probably uh, March. Hell, water's frozen up north in March. <laughs> we're probably talking oh, probably where you are. I mean, like yeah. Ozark type lakes, I would guess. Yeah. I mean, at that point, there it's still like that's still like in the in the BFL we're at. That's still really cold water. Yeah. It's still super. I mean, it's d- winter. Depending on you know kind of where I'm fishing. I mean, in the I mean, we were fishing four degree water on Table Rock last year, but you know, I was out deep. I was out in thirty five foot of water, um, and you know, those fish were real tight to the bottom. I was throwing a a small uh, small swim bait out there um, with a heavier head and getting it right down to the bottom. But you know, I'm going to throw you know something like that, or else you know, maybe a, a jerk bait or you know something that's going to be a slower presentation and keep it right in front of their face. I mean, 40-degree water is still really cold. Even if the 60-degree sunny day, you might get them to move up in the water column, but mm-hmm. you're not dealing with – I mean, that's still a tough fish to catch. I mean, 
um, if you can get around them with some kind of a finesse swim bait or a jerk bait, like you're talking about, that's definitely where I'm going to at that. Mm-hmm. Cover some yeah. water with a jerk bait, probably because you move a little faster. He was talking Indiana, so but I think what you're saying applies. Yeah. Um, so you guys are kicking things off. What is the first tournament? Is the down in Florida on Harris Chain for you guys? Harris Chain, yep. It's a Bassmaster. It's a Southern Open, right? I actually first got Open, the, yeah. Uh, got the schedule here. Um, yeah, Southern Open on Harris Chain. Um, that ought to be wide open that time. I've, you know, usually we're starting in January, so it's kind of bunk down there. That time of year in early March, it should be wide open. So hopefully, you never know. But but you said you guys are headed to Florida. When are you guys heading to Florida? Well, we weeks. were, yeah, we, I mean, we're kind of, it's still kind of up in the air. Yeah. We'd like to go tomorrow, <laughs> but, um, we're, we're talking about maybe doing that first Toyota series on, uh, Lake Toho or Kissimmee, uh, which is at the very beginning of February, but you know, we'll, we'll see if that, if that works out. Uh, if it does great, we'll go fish it. Um, if not, we'll probably head there middle of February, kind of get down there. You know, it's, it's one of those things where this time of year, you know, we don't want to, pick a specific date to get down there we want to kind of do it depending on weather yeah um driving the Whenever campers and the snowing, boats yeah so driving the go. campers and the boats and everything else down there we're going to really pick our days look at the weather all the way down make sure we're not picking something where we're going to get a blizzard or pick snow we're gonna to have to drive through we're gonna we're gonna just kind of ease on down there and uh make sure we get down there safe with and get our boats and everything else down there safe without having to go through some crazy stuff so so when you guys uh like on these big trips like to like Florida or places like that where it's, I mean, how many hours is that? Oh, for, it's used to be a disaster when I would drive from Minnesota from here. It's only about 18. Yeah. 18. So do that a straight shot or do you like stop 12, 14 hours and crash somewhere? Yeah. We, I mean, we've kind of gotten good enough now where we can kind of figure out exactly when we should be going to these big cities, obviously Atlanta, St. Louis, um, Nashville, that kind of stuff. So we we kind of got a timed out where we uh, we can leave at a certain time and and get through these cities without hitting any kind of rush hour and then stop. And if we're gonna we're gonna plan on spending the night, like we always we always spend the night, you know, just before Atlanta, if we're gonna hit it at a, at a certain time, then we'll get up super early in the morning and get through it before the traffic gets bad. Or else we'll make sure we get through there late at night and stop right on the other side or whatever. But mm-hmm. no, typically, I mean. We we'll we'll probably take that one in uh in two days, you know, do it like yeah. twelve hours and then get up in the morning and hit it the next day. Yeah. My question is so on these long trips where it is a multiple day trip, are you leveraging your campers or do you guys that you just like do a makeshift with the camper when you pull over or uh, we've done both. I mean we uh it's nice to it's nice to be able to find, you know, like an R V um campground right off the highway that's easily easily accessible where we can plug in and mm-hmm. and do that kind of stuff but i've definitely when i was fishing the tour um the first year i fished the fish flw tour man i i spent some nights in the walmart parking lots for sure yep. with my camper but you know with the, with my last truck bike camper i uh you know i can i can put my jacks down and i can go take a shower i can watch tv i can cook dinner i can do anything i want you know it's it's no different than i got a generator on there so i can I can literally do anything I want just as if I'm at the RV park. So I got a queen size bed and I can go to bed and wake up and cook breakfast and hit the road again. So it's, it's a, it's a good deal. Nice. Very cool. 
Anything else you guys wanted to cover tonight? Any uh, anything that we didn't hit on for next year? Any news? Last call for questions from the the people hanging in the chat. The forty five some of you hanging out. No, I mean I would like to say thanks for having us on and, and doing yeah. this. I mean we've Joel and I've kind of kept our head down, tried to you know we really haven't done a lot of this type of stuff, and we're appreciative of the invite and um, the ability to kind of just talk bassing for a while too. Honestly, with the off season, you know, we've been for a month just straight working on all of the crap that you got to do in the off season. And this is kind of a nice break, man. Just talk a little fishing and have a little fun and get excited for next year motivation. So thanks for having us on. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was cool catching up with you guys. Um, uh, and I guess, yeah, for the people that are just getting in here late, uh, make sure you go back and watch the replay uh, later on tonight, tomorrow. We covered a lot of good stuff. We talked about their channel. We talked about last year. There was a lot of good nuggets uh, that I think are worth catching up on. Or you can listen to the podcast. That will be out tomorrow. If you want to you know, search Hellabass on any podcast app, or there'll be a link down in the video description. It's a good way to catch up and, and, and get some of the nuggets that we laid out, both you know, YouTube channel-wise, tournament fishing, you know, a lot of nuggets and things like that. And uh, So I wish you guys the best of luck. Uh, we'll be following along uh, with the Opens in the League. Uh, and excited to see how that goes. Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's always uh, everybody here to help you guys catch more bass and suck less. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As always, thanks to all of you that hung in till the end of this podcast. This has been another episode of Hellabass Bass Fishing Podcast Experience. Please consider sharing this with any of your bass and buddies and friends. This is the best way for podcasts to grow is through word of mouth. Also, don't forget to search Hellabass on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or just about anywhere else so that we can connect in more ways. As always, here to help you catch more bass and suck less. <laughs>